Health Matters with Karen Key. And a very good evening to you and welcome to this week's edition of Health Matters. This month is Mental Health Awareness Month, so with that in mind, I'll be chatting this evening with Jane Herbert, a speech, language and swallowing therapist who works with patients who've suffered catastrophic illness or injury. Her work involves outpatient speech and swallowing therapy at the Palesa Satellite Clinic of Aurora Hospital. And we'll be chatting this evening about Alzheimer's and speech therapy. And I'll also be talking with clinical psychologist Jeremy Bayer about stress management. I think that's something we all need. Tracy Alexander is a Dauphin seating specialist and we'll be chatting about corporate wellness and how this can affect employee productivity. I'll be joined on the line later by Courtney Chase, founder of Ari's Cancer Foundation, and we'll be chatting about the work they do with a forgotten group of young people dealing with cancer. They're known as the AYAs, Adolescents and Young Adults. And just a reminder that there's a list of available documents for Health Matters. Just go to the Facebook page, Health Matters on SAFM. If you'd like any of them, post a message on Facebook. But please do remember to include your email address so I can send them to you. If you don't have access to Facebook, drop me an email to healthmatters at safm.co.za and I'll send you the list and then you can choose which of the documents you'd like to have. Well, that's the lineup for this evening. I do hope you'll stay with me and enjoy the show here on SAFM. Health Matters with Karen Key. Well, I'm sure you're all aware that we no longer work like we used to, and the idea behind office wellness is that increased employee health leads to better productivity in the workplace and higher staff morale. Well, 20 years ago, people would get up to perform duties such as collecting the printing, answering the phone, sending a fax, you know, all those sorts of things. But today, we have streamlined our work to such an extent that we can do everything from our desktops. Well, what does this mean for our health over time? Well, to tell us more, I'm joined this evening by Tracy Alexander. She's a Dauphin seating specialist. Tracy, good evening. Welcome to the show. Good evening, Karen. How are you? Well, I'm very well. I'm feeling quite bad because I'm sitting down talking to you. I should, by all accounts, be standing up. (laughs) Well, at least if you are sitting down, you should be sitting upright and not in a Mm. um, T-angle. And then um, getting up, up and down every 20, 30 minutes is really good for you. Well, I can't do that to see because then I walk off mic and then no one's going to hear me. So I've got a good excuse to slouch in my chair and lean into the microphone. So, right, so I'll just excuse myself for the evening, but I'll try and work on this when I get back to my office. So what what, what are we doing? We're doing wrong. We're sitting down way too much now. Oh, yes. I mean, we've, um, you know, with technology is ensured um, that all we do is we have laptops and we can work at home and work at work and for ridiculous amounts of time. But what has happened is, you know, nobody taught us how to be seated correctly. Um, um, And what we found is that people suffer more now with um, chronic back conditions, more now than ever before, because of that static um, angle that we're sitting in. So, you know, it's not just critical to have a really good chair, but you really want to be set up correctly so that you have a dynamic movement, so that you are creating some circulation. So... At Dauphine, what we do is we, we not only give you a good chair to sit in, but we ensure that we do use education to ensure good back health. And what that really means is that you're not bending over in that C angle or you're not laying back. Um, and what you do is essentially you're changing the shape of the spine and you don't want to do that over a period of, you know, eight to nine and a half hours a day that we're spending now in the workplace. That's not good for you. And then eventually you put yourself under immense amount of pressure on your back and all of that. So people suffer more now than ever before from chronic back problems. 
Now, Dauphin has actually introduced a motorized standing station. Tell me about that. Okay. What that really means is that it's a sit-stand um, table, and what it allows you to do um, at literally lifting a handle is that you can move from your seated position to a standing position. The idea is, is you know, we were never created to be um, in a static position. The idea is to create circulation. So ideally, like I, I started saying, is that you should be, you know, moving around every 20 to 30 minutes because... If you're sitting too long in the wrong angle or if you're standing too long as well, you start putting strain on the muscles along the spine. So it's quite exciting now in terms of how um, research and development has um, gone along the way that what you want to do is create circulation and moving up and down. And so we have this desk, which is called a sit-stand desk, and you're able to move the the top of your desk to stand upright and work um, um, accordingly. So we can sort of alternate that throughout the day, basically. That's correct. And that's really what we should be doing. Like I said, you know, ultimately we should be getting up every 20 to 30 minutes, but nobody does it anymore. We just sit in front of our computers in this hunched uh, angle and we, you know, we just work away like crazy people and the effects are not great. I was reading some statistics, which, which I was quite fascinated by, and it says that South Africans on average worked about 9.5 hours in the office per day, which was more than workers in the United States, in Britain, China, Australia. Why are we working so much harder and so much longer, do you think? Oi, I, you know, <laughs> that's a good question, because it doesn't actually make sense that we're no. working more than the Chinese and the, you know, the Americans. No, well, exactly. But it, I mean, it's crazy. I think it's just part of that getting onto the grind and um, producing more and working harder. It's, I mean, it's madness, but that's what it's all about now. But what's, um, what's interesting about all of this is that, you know, the big corporates are very aware of ensuring, you know, um, wellness to the employees. So a lot of them are trying to introduce different um, you know, uh, design aspects and really good chairs and investing in, in good chairs for the employees to ensure that they get, you know, better productivity out of the employees. How important is the actual office design itself? Oh, it's very important. You know, how you actually, um, the kind of products that you even put into um, an office design from the lighting um the pieces in terms of um, soft seating collaborative type of um, products and that's very important because it all then actually adds to the well-being of the employee. Um, it's not just, you know, about that you have to sit and work, but that it's got to be a happy place, you know. So introducing interesting design elements and more organic shapes and that definitely contributes to the wellness of the employee in, in the workplace, besides, you know, a really good chair if you're in a seated position, you know, for eight to nine hours a day. I was reading about some employers, <clears throat> excuse me, some employers who have even introduced things like treadmill desks so that you can do your exercise while you're actually working. And this is the part I like, the sleeping pods. I thought I could have a little nap. On-site fitness classes and standing stations. A lot of companies are actually going all out to try and make a difference here. Yeah, it is. It's very exciting. I mean, uh, South Africans haven't quite caught on, you know, on the treadmill uh, uh, um, tables or even the sleeping pods yet. What we do have is like breakaway pods where you can sit and just sort of, um, you know, relax. Um, Americans are taking a step further where you can actually go and literally lay down in an auditorium. So there is that breakaway from work. They're just making sure that you stay at work regardless. 
But what's exciting about it is that incorporating that entire, you know, the design elements and making it it's home away from home, ultimately. But essentially, it's all about keeping employees healthy. Um, and obviously, technology drives now how we interact with one another and the type of, you know, um, products that we're using in these areas. So it's very interesting to see where it's all going. And hopefully, we'll be, all be well enough to keep on going to work all these extra hours that we seem to do. Yeah, crikey. Yeah. <laughs> Can only hope. <laughs> well, I think, you know, and as you say, a lot of it is to do with how we actually sit and stand and move and... You know, we have to think about it logically. It makes a lot of sense. But I don't think most of us think about that too much. You know, we just sort of plonk ourselves in front of that computer and there we stay for eight or nine hours a day and don't move, you know. Yeah, ab- yeah absolutely. I, you know, I challenge your um, listeners to um, visit our website on www.ofine.co.za and do a, a, a chair-testing seating position and just check how you're actually seated. Ultimately, what you want to do is that nobody really wants to suffer with any chronic conditions. And um, before you, you know, before you know it, you, you know, you, you could actually literally land up with a back, uh, bad back condition. So you want to do is just do the basics. Um, so visit our website and you're able to see if you're seated correctly and how you should be seated, you know, sitting up right and not lounging or not getting the support of your um, your backrest of your chair is not imp- is no is not a good thing. The other thing, of course, is that um, vision also drives away receipt. So if you've got a laptop, you know you're looking right down at it. What you want to do is that you actually want to make sure that your screen is really at eye level. So get a laptop stand if you can. If you know if the company is not willing to spend that money now, then get two reams of paper. But what you want to do is that when you are in a seated position, you want to ensure you have the least impact on your body. That's what ergonomics is all about. And in that way, as soon as you're not changing the shape of your body in any which way, you're also then ensuring circulation, proper oxygen, all of that. So you become a lot more productive. It's all good for you at the end of the day. And those are the things, you know, the kind of tips um, that we give people to work on. Well, I'll give out that website again in, in a moment. But Tracy, thank you very much indeed. I think we all have to go and do something because I think we're getting worse and worse as the years go by. So before we get really, really bad, we should f- figure out how to sit and stand and move properly and um, st- make a start and go and have a look at the website. I'll give that out to you in a moment. Tracy, thank you very much indeed for joining us this evening. Okay, thank you very much. Thanks Dave. for your time. Good night to you. Thank you. Bye-bye. Tracy Alexander is a Dauphin seating specialist. And for more information and to go and have a look to see just quite how badly we all are sitting, have a look at the website. It's www.dauphin.co.za and Dauphin is D-A-U-P-H-I-N, dauphin.co.za. Health Matters with Karen Key. Well, this month is Mental Health Awareness Month, and so this evening I'm joined on the line by Jane Herbert. She's a speech, language, and swallowing therapist who works with patients who've suffered catastrophic illness or injury. Her work involves outpatient speech and swallowing therapy at the Palesa Satellite Clinic of Aurora Hospital. And this evening we'll be talking about Alzheimer's and speech therapy. Jane, good evening. Welcome to the show. Good evening, Karen. Lovely to be on the show. So we're talking about Alzheimer's, and I think before we get into the speech therapy side of it, let's just define exactly what Alzheimer's is. Right. Well, even before defining it, I'm just going to let everybody know that's listening in this evening that there are nearly 44 million people worldwide who um, have Alzheimer's or related dementia. Wow. 
Um, and that means that um, one in nine, we don't have um, up-to-date stats for South Africa, but one in nine Americans over the age of 65 has Alzheimer's. And when you get up to about the age of 80, 85, it's, it uh, is one in four. And the numbers, so, I would imagine, are, are growing because we, we're living longer. So these things are becoming more prevalent because we are right. around for longer. Yes. Now, Alzheimer's disease um, is the most common of uh, the, the dementias. Uh, the dementia is the broader category, and Alzheimer's disease is one of the dementias. Um, it's an irreversible, progressive brain disorder, um, that slowly destroys memory, thinking skills, ability to carry out simple tasks. Uh, yeah, it's, it's really a horrible, horrible thing. Um, I read somewhere recently that if you've got a brain, you're in danger of getting Alzheimer's. Gosh. Um, so it really is a, a horrific illness. And it's the only illness that affects that that is you know right up there in uh, most common causes of death um, that has no cure. Um, so although there's a lot of research that is going into it, as yet we have no cure for for Alzheimer's. Gosh, it's 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 actually a very tragic condition. It is, um, especially for the family and carers. Uh, you, you know, the thinking that you, you get a person who has uh, been a very active, intelligent person. It, it can affect anybody, uh, no matter what their intelligence previously was, what sort of occupation they were in, um, what race they belong to. It affects everybody. And uh, to see a loved one uh, having their thinking processes slowly being destroyed is is really a heart wrenching experience for families and caregivers. Now, I would imagine that most people, when they think about Alzheimer's, wouldn't think automatically then about a speech language pathologist because you know you'd think, well, how do the two connect? But you play a very big role in in working yes, with these people. Yes, we do, and it's not all all doom and gloom. There is a lot that that we can do to help um, people with with Alzheimer's and dementia. Um, it's very interesting that that the the first signs of um, Alzheimer's take uh, uh, um, 10 years after the illness has already established itself in the brain. So uh, you only start seeing the, the, the symptoms of Alzheimer's uh, once the illness has been um, established in the brain. Um, there's a lot that we can do about it. The role of the speech-language therapist is to assess, counsel, and educate. So um, we have a look and see what is it that has happened to the language, because usually what happens, the very first indication that something is wrong uh, is that their short-term memory goes. Um, and, you know, that's quite common as we get older. We forget things. Um, we, we go off to the shops and we, we forget what it was that was supposed to be on our shopping list. Uh, or, or we might forget where we parked the car in, in, the, in the car park. But with Alzheimer's and dementia patients, it's, it's, 
a little bit more than just old age. Um, difficult to sort of excuse it on, in terms of, of old age and, um, or older age. Uh, so memory is the very first thing that goes, and soon after that, language starts to go. Um, it seems to be the next group of symptoms that we see. And the, the person begins to um, either un- not understand what people are saying or they're unable to express what they want to say. Um, they, often we find that people uh, with Alzheimer's have what we call empty speech. Uh, they, they have difficulty getting a message across because all the, the important words in a sentence, the, the words that carry the content of the message, uh, just vanish. It's almost as if those words disappear from the word store in the brain. It must be very frustrating for the Alzheimer's patient. It, it must be very frustrating, and we see the frustration coming out because one of the areas then that develops after the language problems is the emotion and the mood of the patient. So we, we see the frustration, and we see anger, and we see depression. Um, and a lot of that has to do with the communication difficulties because... If we aren't able to communicate something to another person, we almost lose our identity. Uh, We're not the same person as we were before because we can't tell people how we're feeling. We can't tell people what our opinion is. We can't tell people uh, what happened yesterday or even at the very end of, of the whole um, process of Alzheimer's, of even um, re- recall, being able to recall childhood memories. It must be so very... our life story just disappears. It must be very isolating. It isolates people. Um, it leads to depression. It leads to frustration. Um, and, and people then start, the families and the caregivers start to avoid the person because it's so difficult to communicate with them now, Jane, and they don't know how to handle it. Jane, is it only the fact that um, patients with Alzheimer's can't communicate with other people or is it they can't understand what someone is saying to them as well? It's, it's both. It's both. Um, usually we see the difficulty um, of, of expressing themselves, the expressive language tends to come first and the receptive or the understanding uh, of language uh, comes much later. Um, There's also an aspect of language that speech therapists deal with, which is called pragmatic language, and that tends to be affected quite severely in Alzheimer patients. They have the language, but they they don't have the subtleties of language. They don't know how to use language in a particular situation and so they appear to be rude um, they appear to to interrupt um, because they haven't picked up those signals that we have of when to say something and when not you know it's like the breaks mm. um, it would be rude to say a particular thing about a person but with with Alzheimer patients with pragmatic language um, impairments they all the breaks are off and they just say what they want to say. Um, and it can be very off-putting to, to, peop, to the listener um, to, to the extent 
of, of just not wanting to have those people around because it's so embarrassing. So how do you come into this, Jane? How do speech-language pathologists work with Alzheimer's um, patients? It's, it's quite a recent um, area that speech therapists have become involved in compared to our involvement with people who have strokes or head injuries um, or Parkinson's disease and, and those sort of, of uh, neurological illnesses. Um, as I said, our, our main task is to assess, counsel, and educate. Um, we, we work with the person with Alzheimer's as well as the family and the carers, and it's almost um, a case of having to modify the behavior of those around the Alzheimer's patient because there's not an awful lot that one can do to teach an Alzheimer's patient to react differently or to act differently because those parts of the brain that enable him to do that have gone. Um, the, the, the brain actually shrinks during the process of Alzheimer's and so they are unable to, to change their own behavior. But what we found is if we can change, if the families and caregivers can change the way in which we react to the people with Alzheimer's, then it calms them down, it stops them from being angry, um, it, it feels, they feel as if they're being heard, and their behavior becomes much more manageable. And I mentioned that you, were also, you also worked in the field of swallowing, as a swallowing therapist. Yes. And that is um, something else I don't think people are aware that in the later stages, I think, of Alzheimer's, that, that right. does become a problem, the swallowing. Yes. Well, there's definitely a, a progression. As I said, it starts off with short-term memory, goes on to language, goes on to moods, reasoning, uh, problem-solving, thinking, spatial orientation. Um, and then it begins to affect the motor systems of the body. So the, the person will have difficulty with walking. They won't have, they lose their balance. Um, and as that progresses then we often find that they have swallowing problems because that is a motor process, the actual feeding mechanism of being able to chew food in the mouth and then swallow it. Um, and so the speech therapist can do a lot as far as that's concerned to make it as safe as possible for the person, um, uh, changing the texture of the food, um, putting them in, in a, a maybe a different posture, being careful to uh, feed small amounts at a time, um, using a blender to change the texture, um, and finding out what is the easiest way for that person to, to manage food so that they still get in their, their nutrients. But inevitably what, what often happens by that stage is that they do lose a lot of weight, um, and uh, you know, it, it, it often means having to give them um, a supplement, an oral supplement as well uh, with, with their food so that they um, don't lose you know, too much weight. Um, the sad thing listening to this now, Jane, is the fact mm -hmm. that there is not that much that we can do for a patient with Alzheimer's. There are certain things, but it mm -hmm. seems more to be the fact that we need to educate ourselves and we need to yes. educate the carers, the families, and that, by all accounts from what you said, would make a difference in the life of the Alzheimer's patient. Yes. There are a few types of therapy that have become popular um, lately. One is reminiscence therapy. Um, we found that... Uh, 
Alzheimer's patients generally keep memories from long ago much longer than um, short to midterm memories. And so if, uh, in order to connect with the person with Alzheimer's, um, to go back into their past, to go back into their childhood or early adulthood is a wonderful way of connecting them uh, with them. And, and often the memories will recur. They, they might hear a song from their, uh, you know, from the 1950s um, that their faces will suddenly light up because they remember it. Or if you talk about um, famous people from the past, uh, if you talk about Winston Churchill, for instance, um, they will have the recollection of that. Um, so often reminiscence therapy is a very good way of connecting. And, and uh, often they are able to tell us a bit of their life story. I've, I've got one dear gentleman at the moment um, who, uh, as a, a young boy when he was at school, entertained Cliff Richard in the shadows oh, wow. in his home in Port Elizabeth. And he remembers that clearly, having a braai in, in the back garden and swimming in their pool with Cliff Richard in the shadows. I mean, that's a wonderful that's an amazing memory, um, memory to, to share mm. with, with other people. Um, the other uh, way that we connect with them is through music, and particularly music that uh, was a favorite of, of the Alzheimer's sufferer. Um, so if, if the family can uh, supply music that... Um, the, the, their loved one uh, was was uh, fond of uh, to be able to uh, play that through an iPod, um, get them to listen to to old music. It often seems to awaken something in in the brain, um, and and we know that music is stored in a different part of the brain to to language. Um, but sometimes they will remember the the words of a of a, a well known song. Um, or start humming along to the tune. And the other thing is that I find that works is group work. Um, I run a, a dementia group, um, and we share things together. Um, we, we call it um, meaningful moments, uh, making meaningful memories. So even if uh, the group goes away from the time that we've had together, and half an hour later doesn't remember anything that they've done. For that space of time when they've met together and we've shared some music, we've shared some laughter, we've talked about the old days, um, sometimes I'll read uh, a story or a poem that I think might be meaningful to them. For that time, they've been happy. And that time, there's been positive input. Um, and these positive inputs, changes the way in which they react when they go out of the group and back into their homes or into their care facility. What a wonderful program that is, Jane. That sounds absolutely wonderful. Thank you very much indeed for joining us on the show this evening and for giving us all that information. I'm sure we've enlightened a lot of people who possibly weren't quite aware of exactly what Alzheimer's was and how we could do something to alleviate the sadness, I think, and the isolation yeah. of the people with um, Alzheimer's. So thank you very much indeed for that. That's a pleasure. Thank you for your time. Good night All to right. you. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye-bye. Jane Herbert is a speech, language and swallowing therapist who works with patients who've suffered catastrophic illness or injury. Her work involves outpatient speech and swallowing therapy at the Palesa Satellite Clinic at Aurora Hospital. For more information on speech language pathologists, you can contact the South African Speech Language Hearing Association on 086 
011-322-3297 or take a look at the website saslha.co.za. Health Matters with Karen Key. The Live, Laugh, Love Aries Cancer Foundation is inspired by the life of a vibrant young lady who lost her battle to cancer at the age of 24. The foundation aspires to raise awareness that cancer affects all ages as well as highlighting some of the challenges young people who suffer from cancer and their families face. One of the founders of the foundation is Courtney Chase and he joins me now. Courtney, good evening. Welcome to the show. Good evening, Karen. How are you doing? I'm doing very well, thank you. Um, I think before we start getting into the foundation, tell me a little bit about Ariana and her, because it's in her memory that this foundation was started. Yeah, Ariana was, you know, just a normal girl brought up in a middle-class family in the southern suburbs of Cape Town. She matriculated in 2004 and then pursued her, her, her artistic side and, and studied graphic design. And she worked as a graphic designer for for many years until she passed away. And she was diagnosed, I think it was in 2008, at the age of 22 with a brain yes, tumor. Yes, she was diagnosed at the age of 22 in 2008. And she had she had the tumor, brain tumor removed, about 99% of it removed. And then went on six weeks of radio treatment and was you know, tumor free for about a year and a half where it came back a lot more aggressive and devastating and turned completely cancerous. And, and then she yeah, and she went on to chemo for also then just, just under a year and a half and then unfortunately lost her battle to the cancer in May 2011. By all accounts, from what I've read, um, is that she was quite a young woman. She had a fighting spirit. She was positive, had an amazing attitude. And this is why I think when she left us that there was always this sort of aura of her that was left behind, and that's where the foundation started. Absolutely. I mean, unbeknownst to us, we found the words live, laugh, love scribbled all over her diary. And this was basically the motto how she lived her life. You know, three powerful words that I think we, we, all of us actually tend to take for granted. And... And that basically just summed her whole personality completely. It was actually, you know, what really hit home is when we had her memorial walk, which was a year after her passing, we had over 150 people rock up to celebrate her life. And I think that was just, you know, true testament to her as a human being. Right. So then where did this idea of the foundation come from then? Well, yeah, going back to the memorial walk, we, we decided to have a memorial walk. And we wanted to, we decided quite last minute what we should maybe try and want to raise some money for cancer at it. And the turnout was so good and the support we received was so well received that we actually almost just stumbled on this idea that we could actually make a difference here. And so slowly and surely we, you know, between myself, her mother, her father and her brother, started trying to put something together. And and it was about a 16-month 16, 16 journey where fighting with government trying to get registered and eventually got registered as a foundation. Now, you've taken on an area of, of cancer treatment, if you like. For, for young people, they're known as the AYAs, the Adolescents yes. and Young Adults almost this sort of lost group of people because there's the pediatric cancer patients and then there's the adults and there's this bit in between that's never really been that much recognized, if you like. Yes, absolutely. I mean, they're quite a neglected group of people. 
whereas because they're, all, they're too old to go to be classified as children, and they're also too young to be classified as adults. So, I mean, a 16-year-old who is actually too old to go to places like the Red Cross Children's Home finds himself having to go to somewhere like Kruderske, which becomes quite a daunting path for a young man or young woman to go. And you've actually had quite a lot of dealings now with Professor Alan Davidson at Red Cross War Memorial Children's Hospital, who's delighted with what you're doing. Yes, he's actually, we can actually owe him. He, he almost, he approached us. Because um, when we started the charity, we didn't have a direct vision. It was, you know, let's, raise, let's make a difference in, for cancer. Quite a, you know, grey vision segment. Mm. And it was actually Dr. Alan Davidson who approached us and introduced us to this whole AYA concept and group. And because it was something that we flirted with when we started, we obviously didn't know how to go about it. And obviously Ariana, being 24 when she passed away, fits into the whole AYA category. So I sometimes like to call it, it almost like, seems like a match made in heaven that mm-hmm. we're making a difference for this, for this direct group people. This is something that is very well done overseas. In the UK, for example, they have something called the UK Teenage Cancer Trust. Yes, yes. I mean, this is, I mean, the UK actually set the gold standard with it. And actually, the, there's, the most famous patron is the lead singer of The Who, Roger Daltrey. Right. And uh, so, and in the States, it's, it's quite a, a popular, you know, group of people that get supported really well where they have separate dedicated wards just for the ARAs where they can come and get their treatment. I mean, you think about a 16 or 17-year-old who possibly has been allowed to go to the Red Cross Children's Hospital, just, you know, they, they've been taken in, but they yeah. are a little bit too old, but then they're going to be putting up with sort of five- and six-year-olds and crying babies, and it's not really the right place for them to be. Yeah, I mean, that is one of the biggest problems because you're finding teenagers who struggle with crying babies and an environment which does not recognize their need. Mm. Um, and then also the old, you know, old adolescents and young adults going in adult units are equally vulnerable to alienation services and, you know, which also don't deal with their psychosocial need. Right. So tell me what you're doing. I mean, what is it called? The youth booth. It is called the youth booth, yeah. Do you um, tell. I've seen photographs of this thing. It is the most phenomenal thing, and whoever designed this needs a medal. Yes, I mean we we actually did, we launched it on the weekend on Saturday, about Christmas in July. So we saw we saw buzzing and almost like a, a child on Christmas morning <laughs> after he sees that bike that he's always dreamt about, um, and we still have to pinch ourselves to that we think this is actually happening. But we launched it on Saturday and got such a brilliant reception. I mean, my emails and phone has been going off the hook. As this youth booth, or the AYA youth booth, as they call it, is a, it's very tough to explain, but what we were given, we were given a two-meter by two-meter area at the Red Cross Hospital to try and make a difference. So we brought in a very young, talented architect called Kirsty Ronner, and she designed this youth booth where it's, it looks like two bookcases stacked together and it opens up and inside is a place where they can sit with TVs, iPads, computer, um, a place where they can come watch a movie, do their homework, surf the internet or play a game just a, you know, for that hour while they're receiving their treatment that, that cancer doesn't exist anymore. A place where they can just relax and almost have to worry what normal teenagers have to worry yes. about and not the cancer. And what does the hospital think about this? 
We once we, I mean, when we bought them the concept, we we're getting you know phone calls from doctors who wanting this kind of unit in their office themselves. <laughs> so, I mean, they just I think are very as excited as us, and they believe that this kind of thing is what South Africa needs um, in general, not just not just the Red Cross. So our next one that we, as we are looking for funding for, is going into the Khrushchev. We've got a place that we, we've been allocated for the Khrushchev already. So, yeah, things are this AYA youth booth. Hopefully, it will be in every government facility in South Africa. Now, the one thing I, I, I hope I've got the right end of the stick here, Courtney. Yeah. Um, your fundraising, when you do fundraising, every yeah. single cent that you raise goes towards the foundation. There's nothing taken out for overheads or salaries or anything like nothing. that. Nothing. We, I've got, I've got eleven other members on my on my committee, and we all do this part time, and no one is salaried. No one gets paid. Gets paid. We all every single cent that we've made in, over the last three years has gone, has gone into um, into the charity. And in the past, you know, we've been basically we built a good relationship with the Red Cross, and so on, with St. Dukes and with with Kruskier by giving them whether it be funding for transport to transport people to the hospital, to donating kangaroo chairs to the Red Cross. We've donated. Um, nutritional supplements to patients at St. Luke's and many other things. So what are your fundraising plans for the rest of the year? What are you doing? We don't, we've already, in terms of 2015, we just had our major, our biggest fundraiser, which is the Christmas in July. It brings us almost income. Um, so our next fundraiser will probably only be in the beginning of next year. Hasn't been decided yet. But what we do rely on, we do rely on, obviously, the donations, as any other non-profit does, to keep us going. And we sell wristbands, a pink and yellow multicolored wristband for 20 rand. That gives us also a bit of income. And if people are wanting to sort of get involved, possibly donating equipment or anything like that, I'm sure you'd welcome that? Yes, of course. We, especially for this next year, what we did, we funded the first unit in the Red Cross, which will be fully in installed on Monday next week. And what is that costing you? Uh, each unit costs roughly about 100,000 rand. Wow. Um, okay. so not cheap. No. Um, but we, I mean, it's, w- when you see it, it's, you, you'll be amazed what they could do in just a two meter, about two meter space. I've seen it. Um, I'm amazed. It, you know, it's housing, it can house about three people at, one, at the same time um, while they get their treatment for that hour. So, I mean, in total, because the housing alone, you're looking at about nearly 50,000 rand, and then the equipment going into it, whether it be printers, you know, laptops or iPads, tablets, you name it. Um, so we're looking at about 100,000 rand a unit, and we funded the first unit ourselves through our fundraising efforts over the past few years. Um, and now we're ready, starting to look for funding for this next one. And this is where we, like, we would like to get corporates involved, you know, whether they want to come in and sponsor the equipment side, um, to try and get more, you know, companies and people involved in this project. I'm sure, you, and you'd put a notice up on your website. I'm sure you put a banner up. You'd put, you know, for the yes, if they'd yes, like to get we, involved. Um, we've made it quite easy. We just got a, we've launched a new website which which allows crowdfunding. So even if you want to donate fifty rand towards it, you can go online to our website and donate your fifty rand that goes towards the units itself. Well, that's fantastic, and that's ariescancerfoundation.org. Yes, it's Aries Cancer Foundation Org, and if and also you can 
go to our Facebook page, which is under the same name, Aries Cancer Foundation. Okay, so it's quite simple to find you, and yes. um, it's one of those really worthwhile causes to get involved with, and you'll know that every single cent that is donated to the foundation goes towards the equipment and all the work that you do. Nothing has been taken out for salaries yeah. or office hiring or anything like that. Nothing. It, we, yeah, we basically all run our offices from our own homes. That's it's, fantastic. Yeah, we don't hire rent. Um, one thing I, w- I would like to say is that this is, you know, a first in Africa, Yes. This is something that's happened, you know, starting in South in Cape Town, and you know, we're hoping that this can really take on and you know branch out into Southern Africa and then eventually into the whole of Africa, and making a difference to not just you know South African AYS, but to the whole of Africa. Well, if anyone in the rest of the country listening is interested in finding out more and possibly how to get involved in starting up. You know, a branch of the foundation, if you like, somewhere else in the country. I'm sure you'd only be happy to happy to hear uh, from we, them. We would love to. Absolutely well, love I'll to. give out all that information in a moment. But Courtney, thank you so much for joining me on the show, and well done, and congratulations on this amazing foundation. And may you go from strength to strength. Yeah, thanks, Colin. And we'll see your youth, so your youth booths in all different places. We'll be finding them. Thank you so much. <laughs> awesome. Thanks, Colin. Thanks so much. Good night, to you. Good evening. Bye. Bye, bye. Courtney Chase is one of the founders of the Live Love Laugh Aries Cancer Foundation. And for more information, or if you'd like to help in any way. You can take a look at the website. It's ariescancerfoundation.org, and Aries is A-R-I-S. There's no apostrophe. ariescancerfoundation.org, or you can find them under the same name on Facebook. Health Matters with Karen Key. Well, it's something most of us battle with pretty much every day, I suppose. But uh, do we know how to deal with it or how to even manage it? I'm talking about stress, of course. And to give us some pointers and some useful guidelines, I'm joined this evening by clinical psychologist Jeremy Baer. Jeremy, good evening. Welcome to the show. Good evening. Nice to be here. It's one of those things we all, I'm sure, I don't think, if anyone says they don't suffer from stress, they're telling a big fat fib. I'm almost sure. Yeah, look, stress is a, it's a real thing. And, and the thing about it is it's, it's not a matter that it doesn't exist. It's a very real thing. It's, just, it's more about how we manage it. Um, so essentially, stress is, stress is kind of like a roller coaster. Um, generally speaking, change is the starting point for stress. So we experience high-performance stress, and it can actually serve as a motivator. However, in, in, the, in the fast-paced world that we live in, if we continue to be in a, in a high state of pressure or intensity, and he has the key sentence, with no period of recovery, mm. then our personal resources can become de- depleted, and this is where we can, can become less effective or even ill. That's the, that's the crucial thing. How do we recognize that we are getting to that point, that we are overstressed? How do we understand the signs of stress? So symptoms, okay. So generally speaking, I like to look at it in four ways, physical, feelings, behaviors, and thoughts. So to spot the symptoms in terms of physical, you, you may have headaches, dizziness, heart problems, perhaps breathing problems, uh, eye strain, concentration difficulties, fatigue, gastrointestinal difficulties, and even sleep problems. In terms of feelings, uh, you may find yourself more moody than usual, irritable, anxious, jumpy, fearfulness. Uh, in terms of behaviors, uh, you may find that you're blaming others a lot more. You, you withdraw from your friends. You, you work harder, but you know that feeling where you do everything and nothing. Mm. So you look back at your day and you think to yourself, well, I've done a lot of work, but I haven't actually been that productive. It's because you're governed by stress. Um, you pretend that nothing is wrong when there actually is, so there's an element of denial. Um, you have difficulties with communication. There's uh, smoking. Uh, you probably start smoking more. Uh, disruptions in eating patterns and isolation. And then the final thing is thoughts. So you might say things to yourself like, this is unbearable or I'm not good enough. 
And in extreme cases, suicidal thoughts can, can be there as well. How do we understand the source of the stress, though? The because, source, I mean, like, Yeah, like, because there's so many things. I mean, we have these very hectic lifestyles and there's mm, so many mm. things happening and there's family things and work things and mm. there's the crime people talk about. And the, How do you actually define what it is that is actually causing your stress? Okay, so as, as stated earlier, the key word there is change. So there's, there's three factors. The first thing is that, that there's a change in your life which has an unsettling effect. So it could be a change of job. It could be a divorce. It could be, even if very good thing, it could be perhaps you give birth to a child. But that key word is change, and it's adjusting to the change. So that change can, can sort, serve as a stress. Um, then two other things are we, get, we feel threatened by an outside source. So whether, we, whether, we, whether it's someone in the workplace, whether we feel we're being bullied, whether it's conflict in the home, sort of a parent or a sibling. So that, that, that's, an, that's what I mean by an outside source. And then finally, we just generally experience a loss of personal control. Um, so whatever may have caused it, whether it's a trauma, um, a person, we don't have that control that we used to have. That, those are generally the sources. So what you said now is that it could be coming, the, the source of the stress could be from a negative thing as well as something that would in normal circumstances be considered a positive thing, like possibly getting married or having a baby and mm. all those good things, but they could mm. still be the source of your stress. It could be, yeah, it, it, it depends on how it's handled. So even, even, even if we experience, we experience a bad thing, it, it often depends on do we have good support, um, do, we have, do we have a spiritual side to us. In other words, like I said, it's not a one-size-fits-all. It just depends on, on the way we manage, and the, and the key word is balance. So I might have an occupational problem that I'm dealing with, but do I have an outlet? Do I have someone to speak to, to, speak to about it? Do I have a spiritual um, avenue that, that can help me to get through that? If it's a marriage, which is obviously a great thing, it's an adjustment and it's, it's a change to life, which, which is a great, great thing. But again, it's, it's how it's managed. It's how, how you deal with it. So... That, like I said earlier, that key word is change and how it's dealt with. And now the big word, help. Mm-hmm. <laughs> what, sort of, what help is there out there to help us to cope with this? Okay. So there, there, are, many, there are many avenues. And I'm going to start with, with, with balance. So there, 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 if I could just say there are eight factors here. There's occupational, financial, spiritual, relationships, fun and recreation, physical, and then service, of so being of service. So a good technique to, that I would uh, strongly recommend is, because like I say, we can never do all of those things in the same day, but ask yourself what, what of those tools are we neglecting the most? And, another, and what, are we, what, are we, what are we sticking to the most of those? And, and like I say, we, we can't be perfect and we can't do all, the thing, all those things on the same day, but it's just important to see what we're neglecting and to find some kind of balance. Other methods that I use are is music, you know, things that make you happy, meditation, uh, breathing techniques, um, and then amplifying your strength. So when we're in a, in, a, in, a, in a stressful situation, there's a tendency to filter out all the positives and only focus on the negatives. But ask yourself, how resilient are you that you actually manage to get through that stressful situation? So amplify your strengths. Um, exercise, and then avoiding social comparison. You know, often we fall into this habit of, you know, my situation is so much more stressful than others. Nothing's always, nothing's, you know, always what it seems. You, you, you never know what goes on behind closed doors in other people's lives. So if you can, avoid social comparison. Um, another method is, is goal setting. And the great thing about goal setting is that it, it gives us 
and motivation, direction, and focus. And it takes the emotion out of it. So real good way of, of saying, okay, I've got the stress, but if I set goals, I can, it can help me get into the right, sort of set me in the right direction. Another one that I promote a lot is the thing called controlling the controllables. Ask yourself, you, the things that are happening in your life, can I control this? Can I control perhaps someone's personality or is that just the way they are? No, I can't. So, so ask yourself, what, what's in my armory? What can I control? And what is something that I just can't control? And I've got to say, you know what? It is what it is. Um, so those are some examples. Others would be priorities, giving back to others. Now, how often in a typical month do you perhaps give charity or, 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 or help in your community? And it's a really fulfilling thing. And it really, it's, it's shown to be, in terms of spiritually, it's shown to, to, to be really uplifting. Um, other things would be learning from your mistakes and humility. I mean, if we, if we, if we strive for pe- perfection all the time, this can be a thing that induces or creates a lot of stress. So if we have a bad day, yeah, we're human. And just remember that to learn from our mistakes. So, yeah, I hope, you, I hope that gives you some insight of, of some interventions, but there, there are a lot more. Now, I always like to sort of, you know, I always say to people, you know, if you, you make somebody else happy or you mm. make somebody else smile, it mm. does so much more for you giving them that that little moment of happiness or little moment of joy. It makes mm. you feel so much better, you know, and it's, it's like paying it forward almost, you know, and, and yeah. doing something for somebody else. You'd be surprised how much better you feel after that. Exactly. And, and as I was alluding to earlier, with, with, with one of those factors in, in balance is, is relationships and also mm. giving, being of service. So just just that little, just think of yourself in, in a typical week. How have I have I done something for someone else? Whether it's just a, whether it's giving a gift or whether it's simply giving a compliment. And you're absolutely right, Corin. It, it does it does uplift you, and it's, it's it's a really good thing to do. And it's and it and it does relieve stress because it also gets you out of your head, and it and it gets you helping others and and seeing other people's lives and seeing things from their perspective as well. So just. From a, in terms of stress, it helps to put things in perspective as well, just when you hear someone else's, else's life and what they're going through. Very simple little silly thing I do. If I've had a really mm. bad day and I'm sort of not feeling great and I happen to be going shopping and it's not the best thing I want to go and do right now, mm. but I make a point of when I get to the, to the checkout, I'll, have mm. it, I'll, I'll chat to the cashier. And mm-hmm. she'll look at you. Sometimes they look at you as if say, you're talking to me because no one really talks to them. You know, they come there mm-hmm. and they pay and they leave. And I'll say, hi, how are you doing? How's your day? And, you know, have a little chat. And they, they, they smile and they beam and somebody's actually talking to you. And mm-hmm. the look on their face and that smile that they mm-hmm. give you, I tell you, I walk out of there feeling a whole lot better than I did when I got there in the first place. Small thing. Mm-hmm. Well, exactly. Well, Small thing. You know, we, tend, we just see, we walk in and we just assume that people have jobs and they're like robots. But actually... People, people have levels of motivation and people want to be uplifted in their day. Mm. So if they see customers are treating them with respect, not only does it foster good relationships, but it actually increases their motivation. Um, and it, it gives them hope and, and, and to know that you know, people actually, someone actually cares for them. So it's, it, you think about the, the, the impact you've had on that person when they go home. This person lifted me. This person motivated me you, without realizing, have had a positive effect on that person simply by smiling at them. And they've done more than that for me because I'll walk out of there in a really good mood. Exactly. You know, so, <laughs> so there are ways that we can actually help ourselves. Yes, exactly. And, and, and I like the examples that you've given about helping others. It's, it, it can be so simple. It doesn't have to be a massive thing just simply by a kind gesture or a, a compliment. Or just acknowledging somebody, you know. Simply acknowledging somebody, yes. So... 
and it changes your day too, yeah. Yeah, it doesn't have to cost you anything other than a smile or or, mm. or a nice compliment or something. It, it doesn't have to be a monetary thing. It can mm. just be a, a nice gesture, and it, it mm. does make a huge difference. And I'm telling you, if you haven't done this before, you listening out there, all of you, if you mm. haven't done this before, just try it. I tell you, it really brings a smile to your face, yeah. and you'll well, end up and, having and a great day. And you know the thing day. is, Corin, I mean, obviously you're in, you're in Cape Town, but in the Joburg context, you know, we, we live quite insular lives with, with our suburbs, you know, high walls and, and barbed wire fences and and it's and it's a real shame. I mean, if we if we could embrace each other more and, and create a more of a, a community atmosphere, that, that would result in perhaps a change of morale in our communities. But unfortunately, when when bad things happen, the answer that generally happens is that we close ourselves mm. up even more. And that's a, of course a source of stress as well. Instead of saying how can we help our community, bad news happens or a trauma happens, and like I say, we close ourselves up even more, which is unfortunately a real shame. It is a real shame, and unfortunately, mm. there are lots of places in Cape Town that are just like that as well. So, yeah. hopefully, we can all just, even if when you go out for a little bit, just go out there and make a difference. Jeremy, mm. is there any way that people can find out more about what you do, what what you talk about? Do you have a website anywhere that they can have a look at? Well, just to correct you, I'm, I'm a counselling psychologist. Counselling psychologist. Counselling okay. psychologist. Yeah. Um, so that's that's my title. Um, my website www.jeremybayer.wix.com forward slash Jeremy Bayer. Jeremy Bayer dot W-I-C-S. W-I-X. W-I-X. W-O-W-I-X at Jeremy Bayer dot com. www.jeremybayer.wix.com forward slash Jeremy Bayer. Okay. Just to make my life very complicated here. Yeah. Okay. com forward slash Jeremy Bayer. Jeremy, thank you so much for your time. Thank you very much, Thoroughly. Great to chat it. with you. Good night to you. Jeremy Bear is a counseling psychologist, and if you'd like to find out more about him, you can have a look at the website. It's Jeremy Bear, that's B A Y E R, Jeremy Bear dot Wix, W I X dot com forward slash Jeremy Bear. The SABC has signed a code of conduct that is enforced by the Broadcasting Complaints Commission of South Africa. Under the code, we are committed to giving news that is accurate, comment that's fair, and programming that is not harmful, does not amount to hate speech or violence or explicit sex. If you think we are not living up to that code, then you can inform the Broadcasting Complaints Commission of South Africa. Direct any complaints in writing to the BCCSA, PO Box 412-365, Craig Hall 2024. That's the BCCSA, PO Box 412-365, Craig Hall 2024. Send a fax to 011-326-3198 or an email to bccsa at nabsa.co.za. For more information, please visit BCCSA. Health Matters with Karen Key. And that's it for Health Matters for this week. I'm Karen Key. Thanks for joining me. I'll be back with you again tomorrow evening just after nine with time to travel. So join me then. And don't forget there's a list of available documents for Health Matters. Have a look at Facebook, Health Matters on SAFM or email me healthmatters at safm.co.za. Time now for some nighttime music with Stephen Kirker. Hello, Stephen.